Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. Hello, good morning. Thank you. I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to let you speak to one another here in the here in the house for a moment or two. Thank you for your patience. I am Judy Myers. Uh, my pronouns are she and her, and I am the officiant today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Wes is one community unified across time and space gathering for these Sunday platforms to affirm our values and commit to a better world. So I want to welcome those of you who are here in the hall, those who are watching now on Zoom, and those who are catching the recording later. If you are on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome message and various tips from Peter Bishop, today's Zoom chat usher. And if you are here in the hall, and would like an assistive listening device, please ask the sound crew at the back. If you're visiting here in person, please stop by the welcome table after platform today to speak to our to a greeter or to our membership chair, membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Those of you visiting online now or later, we invite you to send an email to Maceo at Maceot, that's M-A-C-E-O-T, at ethicalsociety.org, or fill out a connection form, which you can find at tiny.cc slash westconnects. And if we have been successful at getting um, some greetings here in the chat, I will read those. So let me take a look. And folks who are joining in virtually uh, can use this time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting, if you should care to do that. All right, so let's see where we are. Um, so we have from, oh, looky, we do have, boy. Um, do, 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 do. Good morning from the Briskin Limehouses. Yay, Adam and family. Uh, Laura says, good morning. DeShulio. Try not to destroy it this morning. Uh, Cynthia Goodman says, good morning to everyone. Peter Baker, hi, Wes, from Paul. Uh, Patrick says, hi, all. Uh, Lorraine to everyone. Good morning to everyone. Don Nunziato, I believe, says, good morning. Happy almost spring. Um, Fezik. Yes. Rajesh says, hi, everyone. Um, it's a very small screen. Michelle Mardson says, good morning from Breezy, Florida. Glad to have you checking in with us. Alex Abbott says, good morning, all. Shirley Storms says, good morning, Wes. And so 
Sue Jacobson, sorry, scrolling here. Sue Jacobson says, Good morning. My gosh. Ah, sometimes, sometimes I will get it. Some, I, I keep practicing uh, saying someone's last name. Okay, sorry. Sue Jacobson, good morning, everyone. Dishulo, yes, Laura says. Um, <laughs> right, yes. Lots, Lots of Lauras. Um, let me see. Tom, Michelle, and Baby Lighting. Um, good morning, Wes, from Tom. I assume there's a Tom, Michelle, and Baby Lighting. Hopefully, we will be in person soon. Uh, okay. There you have it. <laughs> Okie doke. So, um, I need more hands. That's simply all there is to it. <laughs> Opening words this morning are from Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. True generosity consists precisely in fighting to destroy the causes which nourish false charity. False charity constrains the fearful and subdued, the rejects of life, to extend their trembling hands True generosity lies in striving so that these hands, whether of individuals or entire peoples, need be extended less and less in supplication so that more and more they become human hands which work and working transform the world. Today's opening song is Here We Have Gathered.
Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. You can read it here in person or make a recording that will be included in a future platform. Today's reader is Joe London. Joe is a former chair and present fan of the Community Relations Committee, CRC. She sings with the chorus and is a member of the Safer Congregations team. Joe suggests that you consult Appendices E and F of the West Bylaws if you want to know more about what that is. Good morning, everyone. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each other's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you so much, Joe. As Joe lights our community candle, I invite you to uh, join in the saying the words of our candle lighting. Um, may we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. In just a moment, our senior leader, Casey Slack, will read this morning's story for all ages. But first, member Julie Drizzen. OK, Julie will take a moment to share with us some of what Wes means to her. Oh. Good morning. I've been coming to Wes for 25 years. This is a place that helps me discover and be my best self. This is where my daughters, now almost 24 and 20, were cherished and nurtured, where their unique spirits were seen and embraced, where they found joy and acceptance, where I find joy and acceptance. Wes has been here for me through marriage and divorce and remarriage, the births of my children, the deaths of my parents. This is where I find peace and comfort, where I come to be called to greater good, where I sing in harmony and in unison, where I contemplate what matters most in my one precious life. This is my home and you are my people. 
I care deeply about Wes, and I want to be sure it thrives so that others may experience it. And that is why I give to Wes during pledge season every year. Thank you so much, Julie. So our story for all ages today is The World Needs More Purple People by Benjamin Hart and Kristen Bell with illustrations from Daniel Wiseman. You'll be able to see the illustrations up on the screens here, which is great because illustrations are one of the best parts of children's stories. Ta-da! Follow my guide to become a purple person. Now, you may be asking yourself, why in the whole wide world would I want to be purple? Purple is a magic color made when red and blue work together. I think all the best things in the world are purple. But you're probably wondering, what does that have to do with people? Wow, are you a genius? Because you are already on your way to becoming a purple person. You want to know why? Step one, ask really great questions. My dad says purple people ask great questions. Questions about everything. Even questions about questions. Hey, Dad, how far away is outer space? Have you ever met a dolphin? How many dolphins live in outer space? Purple questions are the kind that help you learn something really big about the world or something really small about another person. How tall is the world's tallest rainbow? What's your bear's name? Charlie. Dad says, the more purple questions you ask, the more purple you become. How many do you think there are? He also says I can only ask him 20 questions about space dolphins every day. Step two, laugh a lot. My grandma says purple people laugh a lot. We are always laughing. I mean, like, snot out of our nose laughing. We laugh at books. We laugh at jokes. How do you make a tissue dance? Put a little boogie in it. We laugh at donkey dances and hairy elephant knees. Especially, we laugh at Grandpa's funny noises. <laughs> Purple laughing helps us remember the things we share and forget about what we thought made us different. It's almost impossible to be angry when you're laughing. Try it, I dare you. Grandma says, the more purple laughing you do, the more purple you become. She also says that Grandpa's funny noises are her favorite funny noises in the whole wide world. Step three, use your voice and don't lose your voice. My mom says that purple people use their voice and don't lose their voice. She encourages me to use my voice to sing, to give good ideas, 
and to share my opinions. Sometimes people lose their voice, and that's okay. It happens. A purple voice helps someone who is having trouble find their own voice. Purple people don't just speak up, they also listen. Mom says that the more you use a purple voice, the more purple you become. She also says she heard my opinion about Brussels sprouts, but I'm still going to have to eat them. I'm going to work on a better agreement. <laughs> Step four, work hard, super duper hard. My grandpa says purple people know how to dig in and get stuff done. He and I like to work hard when we build things, and while we learn things, and while we grow things. Purple work is the kind of work that's done together to change something that needs changing, fix something that needs fixing, or help someone who needs helping. Grandpa says the more purple work you do, the more purple you become. He also says, no purple work has ever been done while sitting on your backside sipping strawberry lemonade. So, good to know. Okay, are you ready for the last step? Thank you. <laughs> step five, paint yourself purple. Just kidding. That's not the way to become a purple person. Actually, being a purple person has nothing to do with what you look like. My teacher says purple people look all sorts of ways. They are big and small, young and old. Some wear cool coats, some wear shorts with lots of pockets, and some wear funny hats. She says purple people feel blue sometimes and red other times. Some purple people even have green hair. Can you imagine a person with green hair? Step five, just be the real you. Like my teacher always says, purple people come in every color you can dream up, in every size you can think of. The only way to be purple is just to be you, because you are the only you we've got. So these are my surefire steps to turning into a purple person. Hey, wait a minute. You ask really great questions, and you laugh a lot. You use your voice all the time, and you are really hard workers, and you are totally you. Well, I'll be Alam's mama. You've been beautifully purple this whole time. I sure am glad that you're some purple people. Thank you. Well, that was great fun. Thank you, KC. And by the way, purple is my favorite color. How did you know that? Let us enter now into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people all over the world in whatever they're going through. As we listen to the chime, let us remember 
our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation, a time to be still and to reflect. Begin by taking a full, deep breath as you are able, preferably through your nose. Slowly exhale any tension. Gently adjust your posture, stretching, mindful of others nearby, and releasing, and breathe. Close your eyes or soften your gaze if you choose. Let your mind slow down and breathe. From this place of quiet, reflect on these two quotes from the wisdom of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. The past no longer is. The future is not yet here. There is only one moment in which life is available, and that is the present moment. When the crowded Vietnamese refugee boats met with storms or pirates, if everyone panicked, all would be lost. But if even one person on the boat remained calm and centered, it was enough. It showed the way for everyone to survive. We continue our meditation in silence and the music that follows.
Delightful. Today's reading is Living by Charles Thomas. We are living in a universe, possibly part of a multiverse. We are living in the Milky Way, a part of the local group of galaxies, a part of a supercluster of galaxies. We are living in a solar system, in a spiral arm of the Milky Way. We are living on a planet powered by the sun. We are living on a planet called Earth with rocks and trees and birds and leaves and oceans and mountains and lakes and everything beautiful and everything good to care for as they care for us. We are living today with time to do good for ourselves and for each other. This morning, our speaker is our senior leader, A.C. Slack. Thank you, Judy. It's spring, almost. And what almost spring means in communities like ours around the country is stewardship time. You may have noticed or heard a little bit about that it is stewardship time. There might have been a sign that you saw somewhere about that it is stewardship time. And this is not everybody's favorite time of the year. Now, spring is wonderful, most of us agree, but stewardship time can be anxious. Stewardship time can be really hard because stewardship time is one of those points in our life together where we have to talk about something that makes most of us really nervous. During stewardship time, we have to talk about money. And almost nobody enjoys talking about money. People who don't know anything about money don't like talking about it, and people who know a lot don't like talking about it. People who don't have money don't like talking about it, and people who do, in this kind of community at least, tend to also not like talking about it. We know that we live in a society where resources are unequally distributed, and there's a lot of anxiety about what it means to ask for money, about how it's appropriate to approach people to ask for money, about what we will do with the money when we have it, and even more so, what we will do if we don't. 
it can get really, really nervous. I remember at one point during my candidating week, a member of this community appeared in front of me and after asking the obligatory, what do you believe about God question, asked, so how are you with money? I do appreciate a direct question. My answer was that my biggest strength in talking about money is that I am not afraid to talk about money. In my lifetime, I have never been wealthy, but I was a pretty comfortable child and then a pretty broke adult and am now experiencing the most stable economic situation of my adult life. I have driven for Postmates and hustled up work trying to pay my rent in Los Angeles while not having a full-time job. When I started my first job in a congregation, I had nine jobs. I have hustled it up hard and also had it really easy sometimes. I am not afraid to talk about money. And so when we think about these storms that we find ourselves in, the storm that is stewardship season, please remember that it's okay to talk about that it's scary. It's okay to talk about that maybe you don't have as much as you want to give. Or maybe you have more than you think you deserve. You don't have to talk to everybody about it. You're welcome to just talk to me or to somebody you trust in this community. But as I get started in talking about stewardship today, I need to name that part of the anxiety is that we are all scared to talk about money. And that's okay. The society we live in encourages us to refrain from discussing our incomes, to refrain from discussing our charitable donations, to refrain from discussing the fact that some of us have it easy and some of us very much do not, and that most of us fluctuate between those points throughout the course of our lives. So it's stewardship season and we're about money. Stewardship is about our care for something that has been entrusted to us. So here at West, the care in this moment is for this community, which has been entrusted to us by those who came before and those who will come after. When we think about stewardship, we have to remember to think not only about being good descendants, but about being good ancestors. And what it means to be the kind of people who our children and our children's children can be proud of. There's a lot to ask, right? Big question, big statement. We're dealing with some heavy stuff actually here in our stewardship time, but no worries, or some worries. I don't know, have as many worries as you need to have. <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's gonna be okay. 
we're gonna figure it out, whatever happens. But I also want to say that I believe that more is possible than we can begin imagining right now. And I think some of that is because we haven't gotten all the way in imagining yet. This anxiety about money makes us cling to stuff, kind of suffocates our anxiety, or suffocates our anxiety, we wish, suffocates our creativity. So I have three big points today, and then I'm going to go back in through each of them. The first is, it's easy to get stuck inside what you imagine is possible. The second is, it's easy to get stuck in how you remember things having been. And the third is that eliciting the best in one another means helping each other get unstuck. Easy to get stuck inside what you imagine is possible. Pretty sure many of you have heard me talk before about this, but I am currently a person that I could not imagine existing when I was 16, 20, 25, to be honest. I was 25 when I went to seminary and I could not imagine. I'm currently a person I couldn't imagine existing two years ago. Constantly, I am surprised by my ability to be the next person. One of the clearest examples of this for me, though, happened while I was in seminary. I had my first real girlfriend. After knowing I was queer for years and years and years and just failing to succeed in dating a woman, I had started dating someone and she was so cool. She was a PhD classicist at UC Berkeley. She was from New York City. She was badass. She still is. And we, together one day, took the BART from Berkeley to San Francisco and then the Muni bus out to the beach on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. And there we were, two fat femmes in bikinis, on a date with each other on a beach in San Francisco. And at a certain point, we looked at each other and we said, did you know you could do this? <laughs> that this was a life that you could possibly be living inside of? No. Neither of us had ever imagined that we would get to be as free as we were in that moment. That we could play in the waves and kiss each other in public. We had both been raised in pretty conservative homes. We had both had to take pretty big breaks from our biological families in order to get this kind of freedom. We had both been living on, well, I hope this works, for a long time. Ultimately, we wanted different things, but some of the magic of this story is that we both got the different things we wanted. Our relationship with each other ended, but Stephanie, who really, really wanted to have a baby, got married to a trans woman who works in tech and has a baby. 
And I, who really wanted a career where I had some kind of platform and someone to travel around with me, well, I got married to Caitlin, and here I am. So much more is possible than you think, but it takes risk. It takes living a little outside of where feels comfortable so you can grow and grow and grow into someone who is unimaginable to you right now. I talk about growth in terms of zones, right? You have your comfort zone right in the middle, and then another layer, and on the outside layer, here is where you are too scared to do anything. But here, in the middle, here's where growth is possible. Sometimes the middle is moving yourself across the country because that was the next thing to do, and figuring it out. Thing I have done now twice in my life. Sometimes the middle is, I'm going to try to talk to somebody who I don't know. Sometimes the middle is, I'm going to invite my friend to come to West with me next weekend. Sometimes the middle is, you know what? If I stop having a latte delivered to my house three times a week, a problem that I have, Maybe I could save a little more money and I could give that money to something I care about. I do care about coffee, but you know, not as much as I care about Wes. So it's easy to get stuck inside what you imagine is possible. The stories you've been told about what it means to have your body, your beliefs, your life what you've been told about what's possible for a community like yours, or what kind of people you are or are capable of being. But there is always a next step, always somewhere else you can go. You are forever a story that is still being written. Every day you wake up above ground is a day you can make a new choice. Some days that you wake up underground, as long as you have a way out, <laughs> you can make a new choice those days too. It's easy to get stuck inside how you remember things being. Humans are pattern recognition machines. This is really important to our getting to be a species that survived, right? If you can't tell the difference between jungle and tiger, that's the end, right? But not a lot of jungle right here and not a lot of tiger. We keep the tigers in a special place. That's another conversation entirely. <laughs> not gonna open that box of worms. Um, but sometimes we get overconfident about a pattern over-sure, that we know how things are going to go. This is actually particularly difficult for those of us who are thinky or like to think of ourselves as rational, because the smarter you are, the more thinky you are, the better you are at convincing yourself that the pattern you saw is real. The better you are at talking yourself into belief that the pattern is permanent. Sometimes this comes up as anxiety. 
You experience in your childhood a pattern of expressing emotion being responded to really poorly. And your internal pattern recognition software then continues to respond as if showing emotion is going to get you yelled at. Sometimes it shows up in weirder ways. For example, I have a good friend who is a colleague who he and I experienced unemployment in Los Angeles together for about a year and a half. So the two of us would speak wherever there was an opening on Sunday and then spend most of our weeks hustling up side jobs. But once a week, we would get together and we would sort through a stack of coupons he had collected and decide where we were going to go to lunch. We would have our coupon lunch and talk through our plans for how we were going to get more jobs. He and I both have, for the first time in a long time, full-time jobs in congregations now. We spoke the other day about how neither of us can stop responding to job listings with, oh, a job. <laughs> you might have had this experience if you've ever been shopping for a house or a car. And then once you have a place or a car, you keep looking. You can't stop yourself from continuing to behave as though you don't live somewhere or don't have a car. I, we bought a car over the summer and I am still looking at cars like if I'm trying to buy a car. I'm not trying to buy a car. But the pattern persists in me. The pattern of looking for a new job was such a long time practice that I am having to convince my brain that I don't need any more jobs. I think Caitlin and I talk at least once a month about how I do not actually need to start a Patreon and do a whole other set. Of, I have a job. <laughs> Maybe you've got that stuff too. Maybe this community has some of that stuff. It doesn't look like it used to do, right? We don't see as many people as you saw before the pandemic, and that feels scary. And at previous times in your life, contraction or something you see as loss has meant decline. And so you're scared, and you're moving out of that place of fear. Maybe we can stop and take a breath. We can say, this is a transitional moment, and things are different now. Maybe instead of responding out of our fear and trying to create a brand new job for ourselves, we can say, we have enough. We have what we have, and that is good. Maybe instead of focusing on where we're anxious, we can focus on where we're connected. We can remind each other of all the good things that we are still doing. Is that pattern recognition thing in your brain? It will find anything that hurts or is scary, and it will focus on that, right? This is a useful thing in your human body. If your human body hurts, you need to know about it. 
If something is scary, you probably need to know about it. But not everything's a tiger. Most of the time, if your shoulder hurts, you are not having a heart attack. Right? The impression that something is wrong is not necessarily evidence that something is bad, just that it's different, just that we need to approach it in a new way. Eliciting the best in one another means helping each other get unstuck. Right? Eliciting the best is one of these core ethical culture principles. That is part of why we do this at all. Does eliciting the best in each other look like panic? Can you, when you are moving from a place of fear and lack, reasonably elicit the best? Yeah, probably not. So I have a couple of thoughts that are going to string together a little weird, but I promise you I'm going somewhere. The first of those thoughts is a quote from Cornel West. And I've been going back and back and back to this quote for at least the last decade of my life. He says, hope and optimism are different. Optimism tends to be based on the notion that there is enough evidence out there to believe that things are going to be better much more rational, deeply secular. Whereas hope looks at the evidence and says, it doesn't look good at all. Doesn't look good at all. Gonna go beyond the evidence to create new possibilities based on visions that become contagious to allow people to engage in heroic action, always against the odds, no guarantee whatsoever. That's hope, he says. I am a prisoner of hope. Gonna die a prisoner of hope. Hope is a really hard thing, friends. It is hard to believe that something is possible when all of your thinky think tells you it's not, right? But your pattern predictor, well, it can't predict anomaly, can it? Your brain that is built to separate tiger from tree doesn't understand the idea of a tiger mask, doesn't know the difference. And it certainly doesn't imagine a celebration in which you dress up as tigers and enjoy the experience of embodying something scary, right? But we know that people who live in the world with tigers do in fact put on tiger masks and have celebrations about those very tigers that scare them. It's an interesting approach. The thing in here that really gets me and that I almost decided to take out of this quote is that optimism is much more rational than hope. And I think this might be one of those places where we get stuck. Right? We all like to think rationally about our behavior. And rational sometimes acts in direct opposition to getting something good done. The clearest example for me of this is electoral politics. And you will excuse me while I get into this for a second. Years and years and years, for years, 
The Democrats have been making rational choices. They have been behaving as though their opponents are rational actors who will make some kind of moderated choice with them. And what happens? The Overton window, this sense of what is able to be talked about in public, moves further and further and further right as Democrats behave rationally and Republicans do not. But it's interesting what being a little irrational can get you. What, if you just do the thing anyway, can happen. Now, I'm not for a second suggesting that we abandon thinking through things. But I'm suggesting that we turn our rational brains, our pattern maker, to a different set of patterns. That we look at all of the times in human history where something impossible happened. And it is a lot. To start with, the mere existence of humans is a galactic impossibility, right? Some rocks ran into each other over and over and over again. It got really hot, it got really wet. And then life, that by itself, single-celled organisms, a complete impossibility if you are dealing with the patterns of the world, the universe, up until that moment. Fish, impossible. Life on land, impossible. Human beings, beyond impossible. That matter could vibrate and connect and get super haunted and turn into people who walk around and think and feel and interact with each other. We are from jump at an impossible place. The pyramids feel impossible to have been built with the technology available at the time, but more recent than that, how many of you have a cell phone in your pocket right now? <laughs> it's, it's most of you, yeah. You have in your pocket on any given day massively more computing power than we went to the moon with. Talk to me about impossible. So here's my other piece here. I had the great pleasure yesterday morning of having brunch with Mark and Bert, who are members of this community for a long time. They invited Caitlin and I into their home for breakfast, and I got to hear Bert's story about how their home came into being. Bert had just been through a lot of stuff and happened to have enough money to put down on this house that was completely unlivable. It had been in disrepair for years. It was not safe to be inside of. And he's telling me about all the work he put in and he says, I don't know how I did it. I just kept trying. I really wanted to make this place something beautiful. I saw the bones of this place. I thought, saw what was possible here. And I said, okay, we're just gonna keep trying. Their house is beautiful. And Bert built all of it on a dream. That house is impossible. 
That house is something very unlikely to come into the world in the way it did. So often, if a house gets redeveloped, it gets you know gray laminate floor and the cheapest possible appliances, and let's flip it and sell it to somebody else. Not let's invest years of our own time and money to create something beautiful because I care. Bert has pictures of the people who lived in that home before him. A family that had many children that had 19 people living in that house at one point. He has pictures of a group of sisters who lived there in their childhood. And he was telling me about his plans to make a picture frame that goes with the house of these people. Because part of his love for the house is for who was there before. Now, if this isn't a story about what we could do here, I don't really know what is. This house is not at all unlivable. This house is great. And every house needs care. Every house needs attending to. Every family, every community needs us to pay attention. And listen, friends, for the last three years, we have all just been pouring out whatever reserves we have emotionally just to get through. So now is the time when we come back together and recognize that coming back together is going to look different. Some of us are going to be on Zoom and not in the room. And to know the full number of us who are here becomes massively more difficult. Maybe we can come up with a way that we can share with all of us who are here how many of us are on Zoom and we can think a little more about how full the room really is. Maybe we can pick specific Sundays where we all try to come, as many of us as physically can. Maybe we can come up with brand new things. We can meet a world that is different by behaving differently. It is easy to get stuck inside what you imagine is possible and it is easy to get stuck inside how you remember things. But eliciting the best in one another, caring for this thing that we love, that we have been gifted for the moment, means helping each other get unstuck, helping each other realize how much impossible stuff is actually extremely possible if we just try. I encourage you as you listen to the rest of today's platform, particularly as you listen to Sarah's board report later, to listen for the impossible already happening in our world and to follow that up with your own impossible actions, your own brave steps into what will be. Thank you.
Thank you, Casey, as always, for very uh, thoughtful words. In a few minutes, we will have our community sharing time when you can write into the chat or share in person, if you're here, about what resonated with you in this platform. While we listen to today's musical response, uh, you might prepare by reflecting on the personal experience or an activity at West that the platform brings to mind. So enjoy. This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates with our own personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you are watching the recording later. If you're here in person, you can come up to the microphone here on the floor and share your brief comments so that others may also share. And let me see if we have uh, comments in Zoom. Uh, 
Um, I think that uh, Maceo's comment here was in reference to uh, something in Casey's talk where um, maybe the story, there was a question about something, I don't know how many dolphins there are in the space. Um, it says, haha, my dad was like, go downstairs and look it up in the encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah, me too. too. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Wayne, Wayne and Johnny wish our community a good morning. morning. They found their way in there. Let's see. Um, Peter Bishop, our chat host, uh, says that we have 31 participants, well, 31 people on Zoom, although when I looked in earlier, there were 37. Um, but that, of course, uh, does not include however many people may be at a given spot. Uh, Adam Limehouse says, uh, well, there's technically three people here. So, yes, we have a number of people in there, about 30, 35 people here in the room, which is delightful. Um, Wayne says, thank you, Casey, for speaking directly and in personal terms about the meaning of stewardship. Wayne, thanks. Uh, Karen says, I'm sure I missed it. Karen Storms, I'm sure I missed at least a third of Casey's platform because I kept getting lost in thought. <laughs> or call it inspired. For me, this is the sign of a great platform. Thanks, Casey. Karen Storms. I could not agree more. So that's what we have thus far. Uh, no, wait, wait. But wait, there's more. Macia says, Casey, thank you for talking openly about unemployment and underemployment. They don't teach us about that in college. Or prepare us. Having gone through that during a period of life and getting hit hard about feeling all by myself, I'm glad we can normalize. This happens to so many of us. Indeed. So um, folks may gather their thoughts. Um, do we have folks who would like to come speak? Name, and if you would care to share your pronouns, and go ahead. Eric Moyer, uh, they, them, and um, I want to just uh, talk about rationality and impossibility. Um, if something, so I think of rationality in two parts. One is the part about having truth, and the other is the part about winning. If you're not getting what you, if you're not directing the world toward the best way you could, that in other words, winning, then your actions are not rational. Even if by some thought, that would seem to be the rational thing according to some, oh, I'm going to interact with a rational agent. No, you need to interact with the agent you actually interact with. And so the rational approach is to do whatever actions you need to steer the world toward the best uh, outcome you can. And then the other thing is, if something happened that was impossible, then your model is wrong. You need to revise your model. That is rationality. That's the part about truth. And so both parts are not contradicted by seemingly irrational actions of, I'm going to do this anyway because I believe in that thing because you know 
you're acting rationally according to the fact that you know from past history that you are often wrong. And this is one of the places where, when humans are wrong, but they persist anyway, they tend to steer life toward the best outcomes. And so it is rationally to act even in ways where you may think it's impossible. Hello, everybody. Uh, Jeff here. Um, it was actually something in the story that struck me uh, because I have personal experience with it. You really can't be angry when you're laughing. It's just impossible. And the case in point is that several, several years ago, uh, Betsy and I were invited to a fellow West member's child's birthday. And what to get the child? We found this, this doll that had a motion sensor in it. So when, you know, the, 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 the doll was tossed up, it would let out an exclamation like, eh, boy, yippee, or wee. So anyway, we depart to go to the party, and I think we were up on Northern Connecticut Avenue, which was all torn up for repaving, so there were a lot of bumps in the road, and a fight broke out between us uh, about being late and not taking the right way. You're not going the right way! Oh, boy! Well, I don't have to listen to you! Yippee! Uh, if you just stop and listen to me for once, we and it really caused it. Uh, we were into this fight for about ten minutes, and then it's like, if you just listen to me, and you can't stay angry, and that's how the argument dissolved. Oh goodness. Um, let's see. I'm going to check and see if there are further comments in the chat. At least I think I am. There are, in fact, at least a couple of. Got to go all the way back up here. Um, and Michelle Marsden thanks Maceo for his earlier comment. Great statement. She says, Peter says, we can also get stuck not just because we think something is impossible, but sometimes we think we cannot fix it all by ourselves or that we cannot do enough. This can be self-defeating. Paul Baker says, it is good to think of pledging helping us here in our home, but I also think it is important for the country in general to have a stronger liberal component to raise our voice. Uh, Michelle Marsden agrees with Paul, says, yes, Paul. Patrick says the platform was really interesting. Thank you, Casey. In terms of imagination, it left me wondering about the measurable impact Wes has had, is having, and can have in the future. I think it would be great to focus more on the concrete impact of the community both today and in the future. How is Wes making the wider community a better place, and what more can we do? Let's imagine and hope. Let's also talk brass tacks. For this reason, I'm hopeful the board report can dive into this kind of thing in greater depth. Laura says, I also went through a long period of underemployment, and even though I was aware that it was a widespread problem many were experiencing, I was still very hard on myself. 
Thank you for speaking to this. I agree with Maceo that college and grad school did not prepare me for this at all. Isn't that true? Anne Baker says, thank you, Casey. That was a reassuring and inspiring message. Change and uncertainty are unnerving, and change is inevitable. Confronting, embracing change with optimism is, as, is a useful art. So thank you all to, who, to all who shared their thoughts and attention. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. HIPS promotes the health, rights, and dignity of individuals and communities impacted by sexual exchange and or drug use due to choice, coercion, or circumstance. HIPS provides compassionate harm reduction services advocacy and community engagement that is respectful, non-judgmental, and affirms and honors individual power and agency. They engage sex workers, drug users, and our communities in challenging structural barriers to health, safety, and prosperity. HIPS offers syringe exchange, condom distribution, overdose prevention supplies, as well as mental health support, access to housing and substance use treatment in a client-centered harm reduction environment. Also, today at 1230 this afternoon, here at West, HIPS will offer a naloxone overdose training session. Extraordinary. Learn how to administer naloxone and best practices for what to do if someone is experiencing an opiate overdose. Let's all take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity. For those who are able to respond, we offer several options. As noted on the screen, the number to give by text is 202-335-1885. And you can donate online via tiny.cc slash westgives or by clicking on give on our website, ethicalsociety.org. You can place cash or a check in the basket in the back of the hall on your way out. And you can always mail a check. And thank you for your generosity. We'll now receive your gifts and the gift of music.
that was in fact Mulholland. This morning, this month's board update will be presented by Sarah Morris right here in person. So come on up. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Judy. Hi, I'm Sarah Morris, and I'm your Board of Trustees Vice President, here to provide your monthly board update. The board is very happy to report that the American Ethical Union, or AEU, board has approved a new policy that allows all societies that have been duly affiliated with the Unitarian Universalist Association for five years to reduce their AEU apportionment, or dues, by 50%. It's an, an ethical society miracle here. Long, long awaited, or hoped for. Um, this will apply to West since we are duly affiliated and we will now pay reduced dues to the AEU. We also owed dues that were not paid a few years ago and the AEU board has forgiven those. Yeah. This is all great news and we are so grateful to the AEU board for listening to the West board, staff and members about our concerns about the dues and their impact on the financial health of our community. We are especially grateful to the AEU's Interim Executive Director, Director Rachel Pfeffer, for her leadership and insight in proposing the motion for the reduced dues to the AEU. Although this is great news, unfortunately this, does, this change does not solve our ongoing budget deficit problem, which is systemic in nature, not a one-time deficit. We still need to make some changes in our budget, and we want to have a conversation with the community about those changes. So the board has called a special membership meeting to discuss the 23-24 budget. This meeting will take place on Sunday, April 16th, after platform. I think that's five weeks from now. Um, this meeting will provide an opportunity for members to discuss the budget in depth in advance of members needing to vote on the budget at the June 4th membership meeting. Which brings me back to pledge season. We can't make a budget to discuss or to vote on without your pledge information. So please make your pledge for the upcoming 23-24 program year now. Um, please sign up for a pledge party to talk with other members about why and how we give to Wes. All the information to make your pledge or to sign up for a party is on the West website. At the top of the page, there's a link for pledging. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah, especially for some good news. Very exciting, actually. And uh, just means it'll make things easier. It doesn't mean that he fixes them. So. Thank you so much for all the people who created, who helped to create this morning's time together. Senior leader Casey Slack and staff members Andara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Tamana Barungi, I'm sorry, um, and Maceo Thomas. I promise I'll learn how to pronounce that fluidly. Music coordinator Leah Morris. And our platform production team, consisting of the tech team, slide artists, Zoom chat usher, and in-person greeters, whose names you'll see on the closing credits slide. 
At the conclusion of platform, please join us for social hour either here or via Zoom. First, though, I want to mention a few things upcoming in the life of our community. Um, I mentioned the training this afternoon at 12.30. And members are invited to a pledge party to learn more about the priorities of this year's Power Up for our future campaign. I heard something about a sign somewhere. I don't know. Uh, and there are a variety of options for times and locations. Um, still plenty of times to go eat, mostly eat, and hang out with um, other West members. Um, to sign up, follow the link in the email sent on March 8th. And you've probably seen at least a couple of other emails with the link. The chorus, the chorus, the chorus is preparing to sing for Wes's Spring Festival at the end of April. This is a great opportunity to contribute to a festive occasion. And if you'd like more information, please contact Perry Bider, who's here this morning. Um, but you can contact him any one of a number of ways. Or you can just show up here for rehearsals on Wednesday nights at 7.30. All good stuff. Uh, in all seriousness, yes, it is. It is quite wonderful. Um, mark your calendars for March 26th at 12.30 p.m. That's next week. When the Community Relations Committee, committee goodness, and or CRC will offer an in-person workshop on good apologizing. How can we open-heartedly provide and receive apologies that help us heal? Let's learn how to express regret make amends for transgressions, and give each other the space needed to process difficulties. Uh, if I've got something of that wrong, I'm sure someone will correct me. The West at Work co-working space is available in the social hall every weekday from 9 to 5. That's for people who are working remotely but would like to take a break from looking at the same four walls at home. If you're available to take a turn volunteering as Post for this, please see Thursday's news and notes for the link to the Sign Up Genius page. And that is all I am going to make announcements on. As always, you can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails and on the calendar page of Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. Thank you all for being a part of Platform today, whether in person, via Zoom, watching later. I now invite you to join in singing our song of the month, Stand By Me. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only no, I won't be afraid No, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stay Stand by me So darling, darling, stay by me Oh, stay by me Oh, stay Sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or the mountains should 
reminders before we leave. If you are new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. For those who wish to socialize online, to reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month, let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, being brave and compassionate around our vulnerability and dedicating ourselves to care for the most vulnerable in our world. Again, thank you so much for joining today's platform, and we look forward to connecting with you again very soon. Thank you.